1: Foundation Arvind Gupta. The reason
0: that people are talking about India is massive digitization and financial inclusion that we have done over the last couple of years.
1: Enjoy this week's show. Welcome to Behind the Markets here on Business Radio, powered by the Warren School. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz, global head of research at Wisdom Tree. My co hosts are Warren Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel. Author of Stocks for the Long Run and the Future for Investors, Lee Chenren, the director of Modern Alpha at Wisdom Tree. Also joining us on the program to be a co-host on the full show is Ryan Christopowitz, who is a Wisdom Tree asset allocation team product specialist of ETF model portfolios. Please note Ryan and I are registered representatives of Foreside Fund Services. Professor Siegel is a senior advisor to WisdomTree. Our discussion is not tied to the offer or of our own investment products, and the views of our guests are their own, and not those of those Church affiliates. We have another really interesting show today. We're going to be talking for the full hour with David Lyon, who's the CEO of a platform called Orange. It's a fintech platform, and there's a lot of interesting developments in fintech and that space generally this week, so very timely conversation with David. Uh, we're going to get a little bit of the update on what's been happening on, on the coronavirus from Lee Chen, as always. Uh, but Professor Siegel, how are you thinking about the markets as we go? into to the weekend here
3: Yeah, oh, they're looking good actually um the uh i mean the employment report was as bad as expected um it didn't really shed any light on what's the future uh you know i was on cnbc this morning and i was saying that i when i, when I get up in the morning what i do is i look at all the virus news i look i look at all the trends i look at all the developments um I look at the uh, potential therapeutics. I look on the progress on the vaccine. I'm actually, you know, very interested in, uh, you know, Stefan uh, Barcel from Moderna, his, his, his points of view on the second trial, which I think was quite, quite extraordinary that uh, we're into that. I mean, if we're talking about, you know, what, what's going on um, in the market, it has to be forward-looking, can't be backward-looking. And uh, the forward-looking um, is really um, dependent on progress uh, in getting rid of this virus and in controlling this virus, and that's by far the most in- important. We also look around the world. We we do see openings everywhere, cautious. Um, I, th- I think I heard uh, a news report, maybe Likian will uh, confirm that, that as, as we know, uh, Disney Shanghai is reopening under uh, restricted numbers, but the tickets sold out in three minutes, which just <laughs> shows you... It did. It, it did, yeah. So it shows the the tremendous pent-up demand that's out there. Um, uh, when we hear about a lot of people afraid to do things, and, and that's true, but there's also a lot of people that do want to do things, and uh, that's why... We get a little bit more confidence in the market. It looks good. Uh, just on, on, on the other score, um, we had another increase in the money supply uh, yesterday afternoon. Um, not quite as big as the previous few mo- weeks, but it, it did give us a six-week increase in the M1 money supply of 19%, which is the biggest in the post-World War II period. Uh, and uh, as I pointed out, far bigger than the entire increase in the year that followed the uh, Lehman bankruptcy. So liquidity is flowing into this system, and um, you know, my belief is, is that it will it, find a way out uh, as soon as uh, people uh, are allowed to and have the confidence um, to return um, to um, uh, economic activity
1: when i look at the spread uh you know one of the big news items this week also uh was how the nasdaq went into positive territory this week is now up 5% uh the s&p now down less than 10% on the year where you have things like the russell 2000 still down over 20% yeah. and and sort of small cap value down almost 30% still so like almost a you know 36% Not spread horrible. between yeah. nasdaq well, and small value This
3: is skewed at and 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 you know you you can see i mean what what's suffering the most is the smallest businesses i mean the biggest businesses if there if there was a stock market for all the the mom stores and the uh, uh and the restaurants which of course aren't public companies except in a few chains i mean you know they'd probably be down 70 so so you know in a way you're 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 basically going from what's been hurt the most to what 's been hurt the least, and uh, you know, as mentioned before, I mean tech is shining now i mean it it's saving us uh communications tech and then of course, what the developments in 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 the front is going to be on, on the medical and and so the big caps uh, are are doing extremely well so you know, we could, it's, it's extreme and it's, it's certainly painful for us that, you know, believe in, in the value imperative, but it is really not unexpected when you just look at the spectrum of, uh, you know, what businesses are benefiting and, and, and uh, which are not uh, during, uh, during this uh, shutdown.
1: Yeah, very much. Uh, Lee Chen, any commentary from you on what you see happening in the virus situation this week?
4: Yes um I think um yeah professor it, it's uh, completely correct um uh, Disney in Shanghai is opening next Monday and they kept the attendance at 30% so the tickets uh sold out uh like really quickly uh, I think one one thing uh in the media uh, it it talks a little bit is this New York study which um Governor Cuomo mentioned like 60% of people who got the virus I stay at home. And I haven't seen this study being, you know, really uh, dig deeper because this really needs to be digging deeper in terms of um, this kind of contradicts with, you know, all the other evidence saying that this virus is mainly person to person. So I, you know, well, New York is a great place to study because there are enough um You know virus exposure. So, for example, you know a lot of people like us who are parents are you know wondering, well, is kids, um, one of the make you know could be the spreaders or not? And kids have you know have much less symptoms, which is you know borne out in all the data around the globe, but. It is not very clear whether the kids are the spreaders, and only by doing, you know, more testing, antibody testing or other tests, can answer this question. And these antibody tests really data only meaningful if you do study in um, highly infected areas like New York. So I really hope you know, New York could. Do deeper study. You know, they have a lot of universities. Maybe they could, you know, partner up with universities uh, because that study really is very contradictory
3: to what. And again what well, was that sixty th- percent? I didn't catch what what that uh, said. With
4: uh, yeah, so the uh, I think the Governor Cuomo they did a survey like of the people who went to the New York hospital and asked them like, where do they catch uh, the virus and. And the survey numbers seem to suggest that you know most of the people who got it are are, are stay at home people, but they never really detailed uh, no detailed information on you know what do they mean like stay at home people. Uh, but I really feel that these kind of studies are needed mainly because in the U.S. Um, you know case level data is not released, so you know ordinary citizens like us really don't know. Aside from all the headlines, you know, from headlines showing that, um, you know, congregated areas like dormitory in Singapore, uh, prisons, nursing homes. But it's very hard to understand, you know, where the infections are coming from in the U.S. And I hope, you know, more study of these can shed more light, which will help help people, uh, you know, avoid uh, help people better prepare the risk. Like a better face face when when the economy opens up. Uh, the other thing I want to mention is that um, I know the the mask situation has become a little bit political. Uh, in China, there was on front page news about you know two high school students suddenly uh, dead while wearing masks in physical education classes. So far, not not a huge amount of uh, information coming out whether you know it's. It's specific to the children or it's a specific mask. But I, I really feel that, you know, people need need to really use common sense, right? Like in terms of how to use masks, you know, when exercising in strong, um, you know, lots of exercise. When you exercise, you know, how much, how, what kind of mask you should, you know. Yeah, because wear. you're not getting
3: as much air. So you got... If you have any asthma problems or something like that, you if you ex- exercise a lot with the men, that's why you see these runners don't wear them because they don't get as much oxygen and they can't go as far. And that, of course, does put dangers to others that they're near. Yeah, so uh, I think uh,
4: you know, co- use common sense. Really, yeah. you know, there there's the the virus I- is you know scary, but you know it's a risk. It's one of the risks. Um, w- an- another piece of uh, news. That, uh, this is my last point is that there is a UK study that based on genetics uh, diversity of of this uh, virus, they use about uh, 7,000 uh, samples. It's still not enough, you know, not a big enough. But one of the things they seem to suggest that uh, it's already a pandemic by December 2019. So, um, and the virus continues to mutate to better adapt to humans. Um, and that uh, that also, you know, give us a little bit worry because um, you probably heard the news about kids having these inflammatory symptoms in the US and in Europe. This was a little bit um, rare because in Asia, uh, at least in the beginning, there weren't uh, many of these kind of uh, uh, symptoms for kids. So I I think there's still so much, you know, we don't know and more research uh, could shed light
1: my own little anecdote on on how observing people last week uh it, the weekend was just an incredible weather here in Philadelphia and and uh you know i haven't really ventured outside of our house all that much you know we mostly get delivery uh, of of groceries but uh, i sort of took a bike ride with um a friend and we we sort of went out and and you, there was a lot of people outside i got to say as, you know as we went even just in the philadelphia burbs just around a trail there was a lot of people running and a lot of people out and about
3: I also think, you know, that a lot of people say they're at home because maybe they're embarrassed they've not been social distancing, so they don't want to admit, oh, where, you know, where where did I get it? You might have a bias there in, in saying yeah. I was home. In terms of the mutations, there was a study that thought that this re, re, uh, mutated to uh, having an R-naught, which is the spread factor, higher now than what it was then, although not deadlier from... Uh, the preliminary study, just that it spread more uh, with the respect to the infants, uh, uh, you know, with, with the Kawasaki-like symptoms, um, uh, there have been outbreaks of these in, in the past. And in one of the groups of 11 children, only four or five actually were tested positive for the COVID virus. So it was a little confusing why these others had the symptoms. Um, so there, as you say, again, there's a lot, a lot more that needs to be done. Uh, we should, though, I think, mention the amazing Moderna in in second phase trials with their vaccine messenger RNA uh, firm. Uh, I think it's a New England firm. Uh, it's it, it's really extraordinary, um, and that they will be in. They're planning in June to be in trial three, and I think another important thing is uh and Scott Gottlieb mentioned this uh today um uh week once you're in trial three. Uh, you can start using it for high risk people without it being maybe still another six, nine, twelve months to approve for the entire population. But high risk people can be uh, administered this, um, and it's not compassionate usage, it's high risk people once it gets to stage three. So we might be able to get it into circulation with doses to high risk people well before the formal approval process that for everybody uh, is, is issued.
4: Yes, actually um my sister in law uh studies in this area, uh, in vaccine development and she's writing a blog. Essentially she mentions that even though, you know, Moderna has not had brought a product um to market before, but Thinking in the future, you know, if we have more of these viruses, this um, technology that Moderna has could be like a a, a technology that could help us. You know, thinking about the next virus. Sure. So, yeah, when when her blog uh, got published, I'll send send along. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, Professor Li Chen, thank you so much for joining us for the topic show for some comments here. Yes, thank you. Let me just reintroduce uh, our guest. We'll be talking with uh, David Lyon, who's the CEO of Orange. Uh, I'm Jeremy Schwartz. We're going to be having Ryan Kristopoulos, who's on my Model Portfolio team, works a lot with the Orange platform, and, and wanted to bring David on the show. David, Ryan, thank you both for joining us, for spending some time with us on the program today. Thanks for having me.
2: Appreciate it.
1: Um, I, I should just make a quick note, you know, WisdomTree models and ETFs are available on Orange, and Orange receives uh, sort of reporting administration fees from WisdomTree for that platform access, just before we get into the full conversation. Um, David, maybe tell us a little bit about your background and how you got the idea to, to start Orange.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, the, the idea started around uh, about seven years ago, close to eight years ago now. Um, you know, I, I was an advisor myself. Um, I, I ran a multifamily office. I, I managed money, uh, for about 27 different families. Um, and really at that time was, was watching, uh, a lot of the world kind of change around me, um, particularly when it came to kind of like the services industry. Um, and, and this was right at the time where, uh, you know, Uber was, was starting to, uh, you know get a lot of traction um, Netflix um, a lot of really kind of digital on-demand services um, and you know I I was a small business owner uh, managing a small book of business and was really looking at kind of the old archaic way that I was doing things in my practice um, and you know felt like there was a better way felt there was a better way to connect with uh, my clients to demonstrate value to prospective clients Uh, and that was really the the catalyst for for the idea behind orange was you know initially to to better help financial professionals connect communicate and collaborate with their clients and prospective ones
1: yeah now it's very timely this week there's been some some uh in, in this fintech space and and how people Get access to different platforms and, uh, and and different things. You got some of the big giants like Schwab, TD coming together, and now Schwab is continuing its its outreach by buying another one of these fintech platforms. Any commentary just on the space generally, where where everybody is going, and and how you know Orange stands out in that that crowd there?
2: Yeah, I, I, I mean, I I think it's a really exciting time uh, in in the space. Um, you know, I, I think. Uh, financial services in general um, you know typically lags behind in innovation uh, you know behind other industries um, and like consumer electronics and music and you know many many others but I think now uh, the industry uh, you know has kind of been batting it around for for a few years um, and you know and I think now they're Kind of have their sights set on what does that model look like moving forward um and i think a lot of the changes are, are extremely positive um you know it's 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 about you know lowering the cost of investing for investors um providing better and more world-class services to advisors so they can better serve their clients and provide better outcomes to their clients um so you know i mean we, we've seen a lot of Kind of acquisitions and mergers happen in the space um which you know is is gonna incite a lot more innovation um which you know should mean only good things for advisors and the clients that they serve
0: yeah dave this is ryan you had mentioned about you know other industries that have done this um and, and one thing that sticks out to me with orange and advisors when they're going on the platform is that it's free and i, I believe i've heard you talk about in order to have some you know great software it's got to be widely adopted and what it's better than that than it being free can you kind of talk about how that might kind of been the backbone uh, within orange and, and kind of your thoughts on on how you know free is, is relevant in a lot of other software um you know industries and how it's kind of come in uh within the fintech space
2: Yeah, I I think that, um, you know, uh, when 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 we decided to kind of expand, this is going back about uh, three and a half years ago or so, close to four years now, Um, you know, initially Orange was out there in the marketplace as as really a a client portal um, to, to help advisors have really kind of a digital extension of their business for their clients. Um, you know, I think quickly we realized that, you know, advisors were looking for more um, and we, we, we knew that it was definitely a feature puzzle that, that we were kind of starting to piece together, um, but really didn't really fully believe that just putting together the right kind of combination of features uh, was, was going to be enough or add enough value for advisors Um, And and that's why we kind of pivoted our business model to to a freemium one, Uh, one, because we knew we were taking on uh, a a pretty monumental task of building out, uh, you know, a a more of a a fully featured platform. Um, We knew that there had to be a strong value to advisors um, and, you know, we needed the volume of advisors to come onto our platform to give us the feedback so we could quickly iterate and improve the platform. Um, but there was also, you know, the, the cost of switching for advisors. Um, and you know, we looked at out, we looked outside of our industry. We looked at music, we looked at, you know, other B2B software platforms. Um, and you know, we felt like looking at the best software providers in the world, um, you know, all adopted uh, a freemium model, um, and they were able to build really world-class software platforms far quicker uh, than those that didn't adopt a freemium model, um, and and that and that's really, I think, what's what's driven our platform, you know, over the last three to four years, um, and you know, we're we're listening to what advisors want. Um, we're able to get that feedback very quickly. Um, and you know, our our team at Orange um, from a development and product perspective have just done a tremendous job listening to advisors, iterating quickly, um, and you know, that's kind of largely driven our business over the last 3 to 4 years.
1: For somebody who may not know, you know what are the the main services you're providing? Like when people are leaving other platforms, um, is there platforms you say you're you're most strongly competing against in terms of what people are leaving to come to you? And then sort of maybe your top few value propositions for what services you're offering to people? as you said, you went beyond the client portal into things a lot more than than that.
2: Yeah. Um... You know, I, I think to, to sum it up, um, you know, we, it's, you, you can think of our platform um, to, to really help advisors streamline portfolio management and client service. Um, and so the, the features that make up of that are portfolio management, trading and rebalancing, um, a client portal uh, that provides clients and prospects with a lot of self-driven tools, So they can kind of they can build and aggregate their net worth and balance sheet and set and track goals, um, but really have a digital conduit to working with their advisor. Um, You know, as many investors are experiencing, you know, over the last several months, um, you know, everything is virtual. Right. And uh, even before everything that's happened with, uh, you know, COVID-19 and everything that businesses and individuals are experiencing today. Um, you know, there, there, there was a movement, you know, over the last handful of years, um, to, to more on demand services, not just within financial services, but, you know, across many, many different industries. Um, so, you know, I think that's kind of the, the catalyst and the backbone of, of what we do from portfolio management all the way through to client service. Um, and, you know, and, and doing it all within, uh, you know, one seamless platform, uh, you know, I think has has largely, uh, you know, been been a great value add uh, to advisors. Um, the freemium aspect helps advisors, you know, who maybe as you kind of mentioned earlier, are using another platform today, um, you know, and they don't they don't necessarily want to take on additional expenses. They think that there's better software out there. Um, you know, we kind of provide advisors with a frictionless way to switch platforms without having to be paying fees on top of fees to switch software platforms, um, you know, and we've we've automated uh, a lot of the uh, advisor onboarding. Um, but then we also have, uh, you know, a tremendous advisor services team that, you know, works with advisors to, you know, get the platform customized for their needs. But also help them with best practices on how to implement the software uh, in their practice.
1: Uh, we're talking with David Lyons here of Orange. Uh, my my producer just loved your term freemium, and she you know it's an interesting model in terms of how how to think about pricing. Uh, is, do you, is there somebody you give credit for the the original freemium concept? And uh, how do you think about that for for other industries? I actually think for for listeners on Sirius, there because there's a for sure they're having premium subscription service, but they also have some online uh pre, you know free things going on with some of the, the sort of Pandora of the world. Uh, any any sort of commentary on freemium as a concept? Yeah, I
2: think I think that I mean you can point to. a a, a lot of, uh, a lot of other companies and certainly we did not come up with the term freemium. Um, but, uh, you know, I, the, the company that I always point to, uh, is Adobe, um, just, just in the B2B software space. Um, and you know, if you think of Adobe, most people think of the PDF reader. Um, but that's, that's only, you know, Kind of how they got their start. They have a really robust platform. Um, there's so many different capabilities you can use with PDFs and invoicing and e-signature and um, you know custom graphics tools that they provide. Um, and you know that, that that was kind of the the north star for us, uh, which was you know here's this isn't you know Adobe is not a, a B to C software offering. Um, when you go on your iPhone and you go into the, you know, into the app store, uh, you know, you can you can see billions of apps that are free and they have in-app purchases and things along those lines. But, you know, Adobe, in my mind, was was really the first to do it in the B2B SaaS software space. Um, and, you know, they've, they've obviously, obviously done a tremendous job. Um, so that's that's kind of that's that's one player uh, out there that I think. Was probably the first to do it.
1: We're talking with David Lyon, who's the CEO and founder of Orange, a wealth management platform designed to help financial advisors streamline their practices and business. Uh, David, it's sort of interesting um, when when you think about the platforms that you're offering and the services. Uh, I know there's, you know, we work with you in this sort of model business type, uh, how, how to help advisors use models. Is there a perception from traditional advisors you're servicing about the use of models? How do, do, they, how do they think about using third-party models versus the, sort of doing themselves? And, and any insights you've had from what, what clients want and what advisors uh, are, are serving them with?
2: Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, using models um, you know, as, as really kind of a a management process, um, you know, have have been around for a long time. Um, but you know, now I think models are really becoming offered as, uh, as, as a value proposition, um, from, you know, providers, asset managers in the space. Um, you know, I, I, think up until recently, uh, you know, a lot of really the only ways to, for, for financial professionals to utilize models, uh, has been through, you know, kind of larger providers or turnkey asset management platforms, um, that, that typically, you know, will, will include an overlay fee on top of the fees of the underlying funds or securities. Um, and I think that that has been somewhat of an inhibitor to adoption, um, by financial advisors. Uh, up until, you know, kind of more recently. Um, and, you know, I think now that, you know, a lot across the industry as a whole, uh, you know, fees are, are, are going down. Um, institutions are looking at new ways to kind of generate revenue. Um, these, these models are becoming, uh, more widely adopted. Um, advisors are, you know, kind of taking the intellectual property from, You know, model providers, um, adopting them into their business and their practice, um, so they can spend more time really outside of the client's portfolio and, and, you know, working with clients holistically, um, both inside their portfolio and outside of it. Um, so, you know, we've seen, you know, a, a much greater, uh, uptick I think in, in the use of models, um, and, and obviously I can only speak for, for what we see through the, through the orange platform. Um, but we've seen, uh, about, you know, a year to date, about a 77% increase in strategist models on the orange platform. So, you know, I think some of that has been due to, you know, kind of recent volatility in the market. Um, but, You know, I think overall, I think it's becoming something that advisors are more adopting uh, as the norm and another tool to use in their practice.
1: Yeah, how have advisors been reacting to this current volatility? Like, do you see, uh, was there panicking in March? Do you see people reallocating, adding exposure, taking away exposure, tax loss harvesting, a little bit all the above? Like, what what would you say is the, the sentiment of advisors on your platform?
2: Um you know I, I think that you know we've we've seen uh, a, a very high degree of uh kind of reallocation uh or rebalancing um you know we've we've seen about a, a two and a half x increase in in rebalancing and in reallocation um you know i think that uh you know a lot of advisors uh you know in in a very prudent fashion um you know are not just rebalancing but you know i think that they're hanging on to a lot more cash than they normally would um and in looking at you know starting to buy the dips um you know when when those kind of shorter periods of volatility come in um so i i think it's been very encouraging i think that you know advisors are looking at this uh you know as, as an opportunity for a lot of their clients and um you know, it, it's it it seems to be uh, a very active period uh, for for advisors. Um, you know, from from an investment management, portfolio management aspect, but um, you know, I'm I'm also sure that they're very busy uh, serving their clients and and talking them through kind of you know each and every one of their clients' unique situations.
1: And, and is there a profile of people who? you find are, are more likely to avoid the models that you guys are offering or, or, the, or embrace them? Like how, what, how would you describe, you know, the profiles of the types of people who are either, who are, you know, the most resistant or those who are most favorable?
2: Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't know if there's a specific, a specific profile, um, you know, in, in terms of, you know, the size of their, their book of business, um, you know, it it's all really kind of personal preference and it I think it, it it ties directly more towards, you know, how does the advisor how have they built their service model, how have they built their business? Um, you know, a lot of a lot of advisors that we serve, you know, are, you know, really small business owners. They're, you know, a lot of them are um, you know, very entrepreneurial. Um, and, you know, and, and, being an entrepreneur myself and a former advisor, I, I know what it's like to not want to relinquish, you know, the control and really the passion for building your own solutions. Um, I think that, that tends to be, you know, I think some of the hardest choices for advisors, regardless of how many clients they have or money, how many employees or how much assets they have under management. Um, you know, it, it speaks more to the passion that they have for their business where do they believe that they're going to deliver the most value? Um, you know, and, and, and many advisors out there still really believe that, you know, this is the type of business that they want to run. And they're not wrong. Um, you know, this is this is the they're the business owner. They can run it whatever way that they want to run it. You know, from a software provider standpoint, we just want to provide them with the tools uh, to run their business the way that they want to run it they shouldn't have to adapt their business model to use our software. Um, and that's why we've built uh, our, our model marketplace um, really to make it easy for them to utilize third-party models without any overlay fees. But also if they want to build and construct their own, um, they can do that as well. And they can actually do a combination of, of those uh, in, you know, as well. as um, So, you know, that is uh, – that That's kind of been our approach to it, but I think overall advisors are um, you know individuals, they're individual business owners um, and I think that's what is one of the, the the greatest things about the independent advisor space is that you know they 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 can run their business however they want to run it um, and I think that's that speaks to different segments of investors as well. Where it's not really a one size fits all business model, um, and you know I think a lot of a lot of advisors appreciate that about some of the capabilities of our software platform.
1: Ryan, let me ask you to comment a, lot, a little bit on this too, since you are dealing with advisors all the time and people who are using models and using uh, model centers like what Orange is providing. Um, what what's your experience talking to advisors and uh, those who are sort of turning? turning to it for the first time, potentially?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, Wisdom Tree has conducted a research study on not just advisors, but I think, because I agree a lot with what David had mentioned, but also the component of it from the advisor standpoint is all of the clients that they're serving and what are their end clients' perception of models? How did the advisor originally... You know, um, portray invested management. Like, is that their sole kind of focus, or is it more of a holistic approach? And a lot of what the research um, had came out to to kind of justify was that uh, uh, end clients were actually very susceptible to the idea of their advisor using third party models, um, especially in the way of benefiting it from. So, I've uh, I'm kind of taking this uh, from uh, the analogy that my uh, colleague Brad had made, but you know he he kind of compares uh, an advisor using models with doctors right so if you're going to the doctor cuz you don't feel well you know you don't want the doctor to tell you that uh you know they're not really sure what's going on they're just going to wing it you really want that comfort you would love for them to say look i have access to these networks they contain millions of records and case studies to assist in a diagnosis or, you know, some kind of successful treatment outcome. That sounds a lot better and a lot more confident. I think the same thing goes with the advisor, where advisors today through model market centers like Orange, you know, have access to hundreds, uh, potentially thousands, actually, you know, professionally ran model portfolios by PhD CFAs where they can tap into that vast network to successfully map over a strategy that will work for their client to, you know, ultimately um, to, to get them on the financial path that they need. And I think that's, in case in point, because of the increase in technology, it's, it's never been, you know, easier. So, you know, I'm just curious, uh, you know, David, if, if you would probably agree with that, and if you think that, you, you had mentioned, I think, 77% increase, if you kind of see... Perhaps this trend or at least more inquiry about models as um, you know market volatility or this kind of new normal changes as advisors are wearing you know multiple hats
2: yeah that I uh, you know I, I think you bring up a really good point um, you know I I, I I do agree with uh, with with a lot of what you said you know in in terms of like client perception um, you know I, I think a lot of times. Um, you know, some or most of the friction, um, is actually created by the advisor because they're making a change in their business or how they've done things in the past. Um, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, uh, you know, an investor or a client, um, they're, they're really concerned about the outcomes, right? Um, so, you know, I, I think advisors are becoming more comfortable, uh, you know, adopting these. Um, but to your, to your earlier point, um, what's driving the increase? Um, you know, I, I think it's a combination of factors. Um, you know, certainly, um, you know, there has to be, uh, you know, market events that occur that kind of justify a reallocation. Um, you just, you just can't move clients' assets because it's easier for you as a service provider Um, So, you know, I I think that there's certainly marked the the recent market events um, are are driving some of that. Um, But I think that, you know, I think there's also just, you know, more tailwinds uh, in the industry and more providers out there, um, you know, providing these models to advisors as, you know, as as a portfolio management solution, um, you know, than there were just a few years ago. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's kind of a combination of those two things.
1: Let me just reintroduce our guest here. We're talking with David Lyon, CEO and founder of Orange, a wealth management platform designed to help financial advisors uh, streamline their business, provide access to a lot of different model centers in this freemium type uh, pricing model we talked about earlier in the program. I've got Ryan Kristopowitz on WisdomTree's model team here as well. I'm Jeremy Schwartz. Uh, and so, David, when we think about just the future of fintech and where you're where you guys are all operating, like, you know, you saw some of the news, a few different fintech platforms acquired this week. How do you think about the the sort of future? And is it is, is it going to be concentrated powers at a few big brokerages that keep adding all these ancillary services? Do you need one of them to to keep you guys competitive over time? How do you think about that long run future?
2: Yeah, I think that, um, you know, the, the, the future of fintech is going to ever be evolving. Um, and, you know, and, and there are kind of, you know, newer, newer kind of companies out there like us and, and like many others. Um, and we will grow and mature and there'll be the next generation of, you know, new startups that come along and they challenge our business. Um, so I, I think it's just, it's a, it's a healthy cycle, um, that we're going through here. Um, we are seeing some, some big acquisitions happen, um, you know, and, and I think that as long as advisors have choice, um, as long as they have the ability to continue to remain independent, uh, and what we, you know, kind of internally at Orange is like, we, we, we like to support independent advisors business so they can be fiercely independent, um, you know, and, and that, and that's why they chose to kind of run their own business as opposed to joining a larger firm. Um, so, you know, I I think we're just at the beginning of some of the innovation. Um, you know, we've seen some companies get acquired, but, um, you know, I think the, the future looks bright, not just for orange, but I think for the industry as a whole, Um, you know, a lot of this change, a lot of acquisitions, but there's also, uh, when I started orange, there was, I want to say like maybe 40 different software companies in this space. Uh, there's now over 300, um, you know, is, is there enough room for 300 software providers? Um, probably not, but, um, there are, you know, there, there's just a tremendous amount of choice and. You know, advisors are going to choose the software providers and solutions and platforms that add the most value to their business. Um, and, you know, we, we, we believe that we are kind of well positioned for that. Um, it doesn't always happen as fast as you think it's going to. But, um, you know, I, I think overall, not just looking at Orange's business, but, you know, some of the acquisitions that have been announced this week and over the past couple of months um, I think are, are going to be great for the industry. Um, you know, an acquisition is just an acquisition. Um, it's, it's what these businesses are going to do with it. Um, how they're going to, you know, how they're going to kind of, uh, evolve and innovate, uh, the platforms that they've acquired and how they're going to execute and go to market. So, you know, time will tell, uh, with, with some of those, but, um, You know, we're we're really excited at Orange, you know, about what the future holds. Um, And, um, you know, and and really at the end of the day, not just what it means for Orange, but what it means for the industry, which is ultimately helping advisors uh, spend more time uh, advising their clients and less time in the back office pushing paper um, and, you know, and ultimately being able to help more people uh, you know, reach their, their financial goals. Um, so, you know, I think that that's kind of where we're at, uh, you know, as a catalyst, um, within the industry.
1: You know, we we talked a lot about serving the, the end advisors here and for people who are saying that, you know, they, they, they can do it themselves. They don't need an advisor. They, they think they want to manage themselves. Any, uh, insights, lessons, things that you're thinking about for the do it yourself investors or, or, you know, how to good, uh, where, where to direct that?
2: Um, well, we're, we're not, we're not going directly to the investor. Um, we you know, I think, the role that we try to play there is we try to reduce the friction involved in working with an advisor. Um, you know, that's how we're trying to ultimately benefit the do it yourself or the investor that's never worked with an advisor or, you know, believes in some way that they don't need a professional. Um, and, that's that's a challenge. That's a challenge that that I faced when I was in active practice was articulating to to investors that have never worked with a professional what the value proposition is. Why are you going to pay me to do this for you? Um, you know, and I think it's a constant challenge, um, you know, but it you know, I think anybody that follows the industry knows that do it yourselfers typically underperform the benchmark over a 10 or 20 year period um, by hundreds and hundreds of basis points. Right. Um, You know, I've seen reports of anywhere from 300 to 500 basis points of underperformance. Um, And, you know, and and that's a concern. Um, But, you know, as as a software provider in the industry and as financial advisors that we serve, we have to make it easier for people to work with financial professionals, right? Which means less in-person meetings, less stacks of paperwork, um, less confusion, confusing jargon and terms. um, And, you know, and and make the experience uh, a little bit more uh, user-friendly, right? And, um, and so that's, that's some of what we're, we're addressing with, with orange. But I think overall, um, I think it's a, it's it's probably the single biggest opportunity in this industry is to to better engage with the do it yourselfers
1: yeah, and it's gotta be hard for them to hear hey, I'm lagging by three to five hundred, and they don't wanna uh that that you know sort of putting it in front of their face is probably. Hard to hear. And then it's sort of that maybe makes them defensive and, and not, not embrace it either. So it's interesting how to crack into that. Um, do you, you know, we, we talked a little bit about pricing of your services in this freemium model. And I wonder if there's something for, uh, to try to appeal to that do yourself investor. If there's different pricing models, like a freemium offering, uh, have you seen that at all in the advisor space of something that, that maybe is, is one of the ways to get started or is that just a, a no, a no, non-starter in the advisor community.
2: Yeah, that's, I mean, um, you know, I, I think you're bringing up a really good point, And it's not just related to Orange's freemium software model, but, you know, I, I think today we live in a world of try before you buy. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, there are some really kind of forward-thinking advisors out there um, that, that are adopting different kind of, uh, service models uh, within their practice. Um, you know, I mean, advisors have to be careful not to kind of over-dilute themselves with having too many different lines of service, but, you know, there there is somewhat of a, you know, kind of an intro version uh, of, you know, hey, get a sense of what it's like to work with me, get an understanding of my level of expertise and the type of service I can provide to you. Um, and, you you know, and, and that's a lot of how we've built our platform too. Because, you know, I, I think today, uh, probably the you know the the most friction that's created in between an advisor and an investor is actually the paperwork, right? The the actual transferring of an account or opening of an account to them, but the onboarding process happens so far in advance of that. Um, you know the the, the transferring of an account or opening of an account is really just the signing ceremony, you know, to, to kind of ink your relationship with that advisor, but there's so much more work that goes into, uh, the relationship prior to that. Right. You know, let me have a full understanding of what your kind of your net worth and your balance sheet looks like. And talk to me about your job. And what are some of your short-term and long-term goals? Um, you know, and, and, and those are the things that really formulate ultimately what the solution, uh, or the jumping off point to that relationship is. Um, it's, it's about kind of bringing those two parties together. Um, and so, you know, advisors that use Orange, they can invite as many prospects onto the platform as they'd like. Um, and they can actually have deeper, more meaningful conversations with them, uh, in a more convenient and frictionless way. Right. And so, you know, we felt like it was really, really important to get that component of what we do. Right. Um, But it's it's really up to the advisor to to employ that and to make that a a big part of their business.
0: Yeah. So, Dave, you had mentioned, you know, about advisors. And when I'm thinking about this kind of, you know, freemium, in a sense, you can think that some of them aren't paying commissions anymore. So trading fee, um, you know, some even, you know, portfolio construction tools like what we have at WisdomTree is free. And then that's not even, you know, mentioning all the free things on your platform. It seems like advisors almost have it on easy street. But I did read um, an open letter that you wrote to investment advisors about some potential challenges ahead Despite you know maybe having a relatively easy decade with markets trending upwards, um, you know, would you want to maybe elaborate a little bit on that uh, the the letter that you wrote and maybe some of the challenges ahead?
1: And this may be our final question, depending on uh, how how we go here. So, so uh, got about two minutes, three minutes left.
0: Yeah,
2: I I, you know, um, I think that uh, you know, I I, at at the beginning of the year, I I wrote this letter to kind of an open letter to advisors. you know, I think really just to bring some more attention to, you know, the, the opportunities, um, you know, that they have, uh, not, not just with Orange, but, you know, in, in, in the industry as a whole, um, you know, it, it's an opportunity for them to rethink their business, what their value proposition is, and, and ultimately how they're going to get from point A to point B. Um, and, You know, I I think for for a lot of the reasons that I mentioned earlier, you know, in the conversation, you know, it's never been a more exciting time, Um, you know, and this was kind of this letter was written before, you know, we we saw the markets do what they did. Um, But, you know, there there was never a period, um, you know, with a 10 year bull market the way that it was. Um, but, you know, those, those times don't last forever. Um, you know, and, and it was kind of more of a call to be, to, to kind of say, let's not be complacent. Let's continue to be forward thinking. Um, you know, and, you know, and, and, and aligning ourselves with the right business models, the right business partners, the right software. Um, you know, to, to kind of move forward into, into the next, uh, stage of, of their business or within the industry cycle.
1: Well, David, this has been a great conversation, a lot of very timely, relevant things on what's been happening in, in fintech and the future. Thank you so much for telling our listeners a little bit about your program today, your, your, your offering. Thanks, David.
2: No, I appreciate it.
1: Brian, thanks for joining us for this this show. Patty Hall, our producer. Dion Simkin, sound engineer, thanks for, for doing it. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Behind the Markets podcast. If you want to learn more about WisdomTree, visit WisdomTree.com.